Goodman Radio Show. And here is the studio orchestra of the Spudman Show, sartorially regaled in sequined jumpsuit and cantilevered pompadour, the world's only accordion-playing Elvis impersonator, Accordion Joe. Here comes the Spudman, it goes down easy. It calls to you, the social outcast. Yes, you who are rejected. He wants you, he needs you, he loves you. Here comes the Spud Man, it goes down easy. Here comes the Spud Man. It's the Spud Goodman Show. Let's get ready, Trumbo. And here he is, the head cheese meister. It's Spud Goodman. Greetings, and our Ola. I am, in fact, Spud Goodman. Spud <laughs> man. <laughs> I'm laughing all the way to the bank. <laughs> Welcome, everyone. I, I am assuming that there are live living humans and a few pets out there right now. I, I hope I'm not speaking to just me and, and the others here in the studio. Yeah. Hey, I'm going to round up and be, you know believe there are millions of you out there. That way, it'll motivate myself to put in, like... At least a, a 35 or 40% effort on this episode. I, I fully accept, you know, that that I'm probably overestimating the size of our audience, but I have to play mind games to get up for doing this radio show after all these years. You know, if I believed the damn ratings that are constantly thrown in my face by management, I, I just go with my normal 15 to 20% effort. So you're going to get, uh, you know, a, a fairly decent show if everybody, you know, everything goes well and nobody messes with me. With that said, let me bring on our designated laugher, my Aunt Dorothy. Uh, give us a more than adequate chuckle, if you would. Here you go. <laughs> um, that was pretty good, if I don't say so myself. Uh, yeah, it, it didn't suck. Oh, fine. Uh, thank you. Um, and, and now I'm supposed to introduce our temporary permanent co-host, Gerald Holcomb. What's that chicken still doing out? Uh, listen, don't, you don't have to say or do anything. There's no need. Just acknowledge my acknowledgement by using, and this is something I, I've been reading about the last couple of nights. It's called mental telepathy. Uh, you know, uh, it, it might be the perfect way for you to communicate on this show. Uh, can you give it a shot? You, what the heck is mental telepathy? Well, I can't. I've never even heard of it, but let me tell you something. It sounds like just one more attempt by you to minimize my participation on this show. And... I'm so tired of you sabotaging my efforts in trying to be a dynamic co-host, which, by the way, is just what this show needs. No offense, but but if there was ever a host that needed a witty and likable sidekick, it, it would be you. If people don't <laughs> like you, you, you know that, right? Well, maybe so, but I despise everyone on Fox News, and they... All of them still make millions of dollars. You think we're bad for America? You think yep. I'm bad for America? I don't think being likable is that important these days. And they, well, you know, kind of created a new way for unlikable people to still have a career. You know, in my case, you know, not a thriving one, but still, I'm yet one more example that you don't have to be that likable to hang on for decades as a talk show host. Uh, excuse me, but we're a couple minutes into the show and I haven't been introduced. If you want to hang around as a host much longer, it would be smart to bring me on right at the beginning of the show well, before people tune out after hearing your voice, but... The station has reams of listener research that says once you open your mouth, people desert the show in droves. I don't believe that. They still like Accordion Joe's theme song at the start of it, though. I think I read it happens in three to five seconds of your opening statement. Maybe bringing on the most popular person on this thing right away might be a smart thing to do. 
I'm going to have to go ahead and sort of disagree with you there. I'm just saying. Yeah, well, because I have to do this, I will. All right, here's Chansey in turn. I'm told he's kind of popular. So uh, what do you have to say? You know, Just keep it brief as you would because I have host stuff to do. For the time being, yes, you do. So I'll let you complete your job duties while knowing that what the people really want is to hear more from me. So go ahead and do your thing. Oh, babe, you are becoming so mature in your inner office behavior. Very strategic. I know you're playing the long game here, and I can't tell you how much that turns me on. Oh, you are so brilliant. Thank you, Dorothy. God, can you can you guys keep your bedroom talk private? Wow. No one needs to hear that. I gotta admit the truth. It turned me on. So, so what I wanted to talk about on the show was something that was brought up on Rabbit Punched, uh, that, that political debate show I'm doing on YouTube now uh, with, with a talk show host, uh, Angel Espino uh, from the Miami area. And yeah, Gerald, too. Yeah, me, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, fine. You know, we were talking, remember about that CRT deal, critical race theory? Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, well, you know, the right wing media and their followers are now flipping out about this, uh, and, as you are, and, and Angel, Very whatever. But it's a totally made up fuss. That's, that's, that's just, but that's another story. The point I wanted to kick around was this attempt to to bury our you know our our more appropriately I guess I should say not bury uh, whitewash our country's history. I love the poorly educated. Now, as great a nation as America is, you know we we've made more than a few horrible mistakes, and I just don't understand the need to lie and say stuff never happened. You know, whether it's taught in a classroom or not, we, we have screwed up in the past. I mean, there's no need to cover it up like in all those places run by dictators. Oh, I don't understand it either, Spud. Countries make mistakes. Right? Why the fear to admit it and discuss it publicly? And, of course, our kids do need to be taught the truth. History is not a TV show or a movie. You just can't rewrite the storyline to be what you want it to be. To feel warm and fuzzy all the time? Yeah, you, you know what? I would disagree with your statement there, Spud. And as I said on that episode of Rabbit Punched, a show, by the way, where I am permitted to fully voice my opinion, yeah. uh, maybe some icky things have happened a few times over the last couple of centuries in this country. But why would we want to expose our kids to that negative information? Shut up and dribble. When I was a kid, reciting the Pledge of Allegiance every morning in school, the last thing I wanted to think about was discrimination or protests about bad things. That would have been very upsetting to me then, and, and of course to our children now. Well, But honesty is the best policy, as no country is perfect. Uh, that should be the goal, but even America does need a few do-overs. I mean, let, let's look at our, our own families, okay? As I mentioned on that on that Rabbit Punched episode, every family has at least one, if not more, total jerks, if they're honest. Yeah. And at holiday gatherings, people are honest about it. You know, if the jerk or jerks are not there, you know, in the, in the room, the, there's no effort to whitewash or minimize the crap these douchebags have pulled over the years. As embarrassing as it often is for families... You know, usually the truth wins out. I, I believe that. Why? Well, because most families are comprised of really decent people who, who know they have like an you know, in their midst. They, they don't lie about it to themselves. What do we have to do to get you to give our people the truth? Our family does have someone who's not a nice person at all. He's my dad's brother. I have mentioned him on the show once, I think. He's an alcoholic. And oh. not a happy drunk, no. He's a really mean one, and he really wrecked so many holiday gatherings. 
My mom hates him, but my dad always invites him to stuff because he feels sorry for him. Most of the time he doesn't show up, but when he does, all hell breaks loose. Yes, uh, you have mentioned that, Uncle, many times to me, honey, and I've been thinking that it might not be a good idea to invite him to our wedding. Good call, yo. I don't want our reception to end up on the local news if he should do anything really heinous. Well, the number one way you prevent your uncle from creating a scene at your reception is to not serve alcohol. Shut up. I, I made it a point to tell everyone in my wife and I's wedding invitation that absolutely no alcoholic bed beverages would be served. And I will say that everyone was very well behaved. It's not that anyone from my family would want to drink alcohol anyway, but the Holcombs are upstanding citizens. Every Holcomb? Come on. Every family has someone who's a dick. Yes! You know, there's someone who will say the wrong thing to someone, you know, like sober or drunk and piss others off. Coming on. Come on, man. I just, my point here is that honesty is the best policy with countries and families, too. You, you can only shove so much under the rug before someone trips on it. I'll tell you what. We Holcombs don't have a need for a rug to hide our Acts of depravity under Spud. Now, your family is an altogether different situation. I know a bit about the Goodman family, and I sure don't envy what you've gone through over the years. It wasn't that bad. Well, I mean, no one in my family ever went to prison uh, for, for something really serious um, that I know of. I mean, yeah, my Uncle Steve does have some issues, but yeah. he's a nice guy, okay? Uh, just because he carries around a ventriloquist dummy as a comfort companion doesn't make him like a potential John Wayne Gacy, Okay. Anyway, we can talk about this further know. in a bit. Uh, Spud, your first guest, Paul Anka, is ready to go. Uh, wow, how did we get him to come on our show? My my wife and I are big fans of Mr. Anka. I, I don't know, um, but the thing that really interests me about him is he's not afraid to musically experiment later in his career, uh, as he's put out some interesting records, you know, after selling what, like, 10 million albums, yeah, I believe yeah. that's the total. And we have a song of his from a few years ago queued up as an example uh, uh, of his uh, varied tastes. Yeah, uh, Spud, I gotta tell you, Put Your Head on My Shoulder was always one of Rachel's favorite songs. And uh, my favorite was uh, You're Having My Baby. That is a very catchy tune. Sock it to me? Uh, yeah, that hit was from way back. Uh, Put Your Head on My Shoulder really took off, uh, though this year uh, on TikTok, with, with that silhouette challenge they had going on, I, I guess a bunch of people remixed the song and, and the whole thing went viral. Pretty cool for an 80-year-old artist. You know, he is a true legend. Before we put him through, here's a few seconds of his cover of Soundgarden's Black Hole Sun. In my eyes, indisposed in disguise does no one knows hides the face You've just heard a bit of Soundgarden's Black Hole Sun recorded by legendary singer and songwriter Paul Anka off his 2005 release Rock Swings. We are lucky enough to have Mr. Anka with us on the line now. We really appreciate you coming on our show. Hey, thanks for having me on. I'll be up in your area next year on tour, and uh, look forward to coming up. Super. Well, you have a new record out now titled Making Memories, coincidentally released on your 80th birthday. Who'd you work with on this album? Well, it was, um, you know, with COVID, like all of us, unfortunately, we're locked away. So I, I just started writing. I had an amazing amount of time to do it, and it led to, after the new songs, uh, with TikTok and the success of Shoulder, uh, and having to do it, it led to Olivia Newton-John. And you know, I called her, and she said, 
great artist, courageous woman, and she just stepped right up. And we have Olivia with Put You On My Shoulder. And then in wanting to do my way, and having done it on my own, I said, wow, who, who do I invite on this? And I got a hold of Michael Bublé, who, you know, was a part of his you know, career's first album. We've been friends for years. And Michael came aboard, and then the Bocellis, who I spent uh, a couple of years ago uh, vacation in Italy, called them up, and everybody just jumped on. So I had those two great guys on my way, and we had one more spot to fill on You Are My Destiny, a song I wrote as a kid. And Il Devo was a real great variation in, in terms of the arrangement mm -hmm. and having them on. Otherwise, it's all new from there. And um, it was really a, a special experience doing it. it but the mere fact of just not being able to leave my house, and it was all in the studio. And I think the only time I left was to do that uh, The Masked Singer where I was broccoli, which was a nice deviation from getting out of the house. You know? Right, right. Um, well, you know, besides all the hit songs you recorded uh, yourself, you also have written some of the most significant songs for, for others ever released, songs that have stood the test of time. I, I, you, you referenced uh, My Way, of course, uh, but recorded by Frank Sinatra, among many others. Uh, you were pretty tight with him, I understand. Well, you, you had to be <laughs> to survive. I started, you know, late 50s in Vegas, and, you know, there's only certain places that you could work, and the testing ground was the Copa in New York as the youngest kid to work there and you know you worked for the boys the mob back then they controlled pretty much everything so you know I went out and I made it at the Sands and I was hanging out with Sinatra as you stated but you know and not forgetting Dean Martin and then right. Sammy Davis these were great singers and but Sinatra was the man and you know I met him very early in my life I was doing business and they were very courteous to me and mentors to me and and just working the mere fact that it was kind of a small community back then and you know, working in Vegas with the guys and nothing else really happening around us until, you know, the Beatles and Hendrix and all that. The music industry was in its infancy stage, but most of my time was taken up with those guys. And mm -hmm. uh, I learned a lot from them. And, you know, writing my way, which came a few years after knowing them well and, you know, maturing somewhat in the creative process of what I was doing. At 25, I wrote him my way only because he was quitting. You know, he told me at dinner one night, in Florida, I'm out of here, and I'm quitting, I'm doing one more album, and bye. Well, you know, that's pretty much a big shock for a lot of us. Yeah. So I wrote my way for him, sent it to him in Vegas, and the rest is history, I guess, you know. Yeah. Well, you even wrote a song for Buddy Holly, It Doesn't Matter Anymore. Yeah. Was he someone you had a relationship with? Oh, very much so. I mean, Buddy was a very dear friend of mine. We all started together in, in, in the mid-50s. We traveled together on buses. We hung out together. Um, that was the industry back then, you know. We mm -hmm. were, these pioneers. I mean, we'd just sit in rooms and write, get to know each other, the other brothers with those great harmonies. And, you know, everyone from Chuck Berry to Fats Domino, all the guys that influenced, you know, the British invasion, which came later, and uh, influenced, you know, Simon and Garfield, et cetera. You know, Buddy was the one guy that I really had a closest to. We were starting a business together, actually, uh, a record and publishing, because he was getting away from his management and what have you. And um, he and I were going to start a business, and you know, I wrote it doesn't matter anymore because he wanted to have you know, strings on there, and mm -hmm. went to New York did it. But unfortunately, he you know he needed money, and my partner and I put that tour together, and he just got on the plane at the wrong time, and that was the end of that. But what a great guy, and what a great partner he would have been. Buddy Holly was just a real special dude. Yeah, uh, I, an unbelievable talent. Uh, yeah, um, for sure. 
so so you kind of you mentioned the word the Beatles. Uh, that's what I wanted to ask yeah. you. Now, early part of your career, you were treated kind of like the Beatles before the Beatles. You were mobbed when you performed, you know, by young women, among others. Uh, did you have a serious security detail? Did it ever get like really hairy when you went out in public? Well, it's, you know, things change, but they don't. You know, whether it's today's group of kids and. You know, I get the comparison with Bieber because we were from the same, close to the same town in Canada. Mm -hmm. Whatever's going on today is, you know, probably a little more accessible. But it went on back then. We did have security people with you. We, I never traveled with my own personal detail. You know, we traveled by buses and you'd get the big, you know, auditoriums, stadiums, what have you, and you'd meet your security uh, detail. I, I started traveling so young and traveled to Europe because of the records were taking off and the key to that is when I went to Paris, which was a town I loved, you know, I started going at 17, 18 years old. Wow. I went to a theater that I worked and uh, had to see a French singer, a friend of mine. And on there were these four kids from England with this hair. And I sat there and they came on and went, wow, I never, never saw anything like this. And they were doing every brother harmonies. And, you know, it wasn't a media driven society back then. And I came back to New York where I was living at the time and my agents, Normie Weiss and Sid Bernstein, I, I bring some records back. I said, there's these guys, these Beatles. you got to see them. They're amazing. And they looked at me like I was nuts. Who are these what Beatles? <laughs> and I said, no, you you got to check this out. And ultimately, they went and checked them out. And you know the rest of the story. They brought them over to the Ed Sullivan Show in 64. Mm -hmm. And it was a good thing because it was unusual. And what happened was, you know, the British couldn't emulate what we were doing. They were just copying and copying. When the Beatles came over, that opened up a whole new threshold for all of us in the industry because there was no real big industry for all of us who were just pioneers and our fans like this, but mm -hmm. most of the parents couldn't figure it out. So the Beatles changed it, we brought them over, and you know the rest of the story. They just did a great service for all of us. Yeah, parents not liking anything was an instant uh, pathway to success, but... Excuse me, Spud. What? Well, I wanted to jump into this conversation with Mr. Enka. Uh, uh, just, just, just a moment, Paul. Uh, yeah, I'll be right back. Really? It's so important that, that you have to interrupt my interview right now? Yeah. He is such a great guest. What is so important? You need to butt in right now. Well, I... Well, gosh, uh, you know what? I forgot what I was gonna say. No, okay, no, no, I got it. Um... No, what was it again? Are you serious? Well, I can't believe I can't remember what I was gonna mention. No, wait, wait, wait. It was, uh... It, no... Oh, gee, you know, I'm, I'm just blanking on it right now. I, I'm so sorry. Uh, as you should be. Now let me get back and wrap this up. Okay, I have returned. Yeah, uh, there's something else I wanted to hit you with. It's, it really surprised sure. me. You wrote the theme song to The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. Like, da 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 I mean, we had yeah, Doc uh, Severinsen on a while ago. I wonder how many times he played that song on his trumpet over the years. Well, the curious story of that was I, I was, you know, at the height of my teenage stuff, I was doing a... Um, TV special in London, and I felt, you know, it's just a lot of music. We need a comedy element, so they sent me these kinescopes of different people, and uh, I saw this one, uh, this new comic Johnny Carson, and I thought it was funny. He was a, a guy that drank all night till about four in the morning. He had to freshen up and go on at seven in the morning with a bunch of six, four-year-old kids. Right. It was funny, and, and it was a brilliant kind of skit that he did, and I liked him. I did it and left, and then I ran into him in New York, you know, about a few months later, and uh, I said, hey, Johnny, how you doing? Oh, fine, you know, looking for my next gig. He said, I may do this TV show uh, called The Tonight Show. I'll do it for one or 
two years. <laughs> he said, I might want a new song. And uh, I'd had the song, frankly. I was earmarking it for a net. But I only needed 15 seconds. So I went to the studio and I you know, spent my own money and I made this demo. Da, 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 da. And I gave it to him. And he said, wow, that's cool. And he called me the next day and he said, we've got a problem. Skitch Henderson, the band leader, who's been with the show you know, before Johnny, he said, he's not going to have some kid write anything for the show. And I said, well, it's a shame, Johnny. I think it's kind of, you know, it's cute and simple. I said, but if you can get it on, John, I'll give you half the writing and half the publishing. He said, I'll get right back to you. Wow. He told me the next day. He said, you got it. So thus he became my co-writer and co-publisher. Well, the two years, as we all know, thankfully turned into, I don't know, 39 years. Yeah, okay. So it worked out really well for both of us. And um, it's a, it was a curious notion when it happened. Wow. Okay, well, I know you got to go, but let me say this quickly. You're going to go out on tour, and dates can be found at www.paulanka.com. You have the new record, Making Memories. It's available everywhere. Records are sold. So uh, we just want to thank you so much for coming on our program. Hey, thanks for having me on, and I'm going to be in your hood. As I told you, next year we're coming up north. We're going to be touring here all the way down the West Coast. Awesome. March and April, and look forward to seeing it. Thank you for having me on the show. Absolutely, Mr. Paul Anka. Thank you. Thank you. Won't you this is a Spy Human Show. My skin crawled. You know, I don't want this discussion about family dysfunction to break out into com- a competitive thing, but. There can be no doubt that there's so many in your family, Spud. Well, let's call them colorful characters. Your your late father was what? You've mentioned it on the show that he was a member of that uh, uh, B.A. Hawaii religion, right? What? Well, that one is so far removed from Christianity that when Judgment Day did come for him, rest assured, he was not given any points whatsoever as far as getting into heaven. That door was slammed shut for him, and so I hope you don't hold out any hope he actually made it there. Hell will freeze over. Nah, and my dad was into the Baha'i faith, not the Be- Baha'i, oh. whatever the hell you said. Uh, anyway, it was right before he passed away, he joined. I think he, he was dating some younger woman in her late 20s, and she got him into it. You know, as my Aunt Dorothy knows, uh, you know, this was... After he had joined many religions over the years, it was it was, it was after my parents' divorce. He, he discovered the best way to meet women was was at church. Yeah, that was his deal. So he he sort of sampled everything on the menu faith wise. I got to say though, it seemed to work out pretty well for him romantically. Oh oh, Spud, I think your mother knew quite well about this, even while they were married. Okay, it was the main really reason this. she stopped attending temple. You know yeah. herself, she couldn't stand knowing that he had flirted with most of the single. And many married female members okay, of the church. I, I really need to know that. That's right. Sometimes even during the services. That's so hot. He just couldn't keep his wandering eye in check. Okay. okay. It, it just became wow. too much for her. Yeah, my gosh, you guys. You know, church was never meant to be a dating resource. Dorothy, religion is one topic that we haven't discussed yet, but whatever church you want us to attend after the wedding, it'll be fine with me. I don't care which one. I'll come... I'll convert to whatever faith you're into, but hopefully it won't be one that will make me get baptized. You know I can't swim, and being in anything bigger than a bathtub brings on an anxiety attack. Stop being a weak! 
Oh, sweetie, I would never join a church where you would have to get dunked into the water. I know about this issue. No worries, my dear. Okay, that's nice to know. Oh, uh, uh, Spud, Trevor is saying that your Uncle Steve is holding on the line to speak with you. Now, well, I'm going to ask Trevor to tell him we can't take his call on no, the air right my, now. No, my, my uncle's holding for me, okay? Well, you you don't have the authority to hang up on a family member of mine, okay? That, yeah. That's within my jurisdiction. Just just put him through. <laughs> oh, okay, but, well, if, if he lets his foul-mouthed dummy speak... I will be contacting our executive producer as she made it clear that he or 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 they are not to be allowed on the air anymore after the last time they were on. It was a total bleep fest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He is right. My mom did listen to that show and she told me not to ever repeat at home any of those cuss words she heard from that dummy. See? Or I'd be on restriction for a week per swear word. You know, when I'm not in the room at home, I've heard her use a few words that would get me in trouble if I set them around the dinner table. But like I've said previously, she just doesn't know how to swear correctly. It sounds all messed up. Like a cuss word salad. That is messed up, yo! I know she isn't listening now as she's at her hot yoga class, so I don't care if anyone uses the F word on this show. Just, just put my uncle through and I'll get rid of him in like 30 seconds. All right. hey, hey, are you on the line, Uncle, uncle Steve? Are you there? Uh, yes, Jerry and I have been on hold for 28 minutes so far. Yeah, sorry about that. Do you have that. more important people to speak with other than your uncle? We yeah. heard you talking about family members who were jerks, and we felt we had to call in. And now I also hear we are banned from being on the show. Seriously? Seriously. Look, I, I wasn't referring to you when I said every family has an or two. All right, it it's not... It's not you that's concerning others here on the show. Uh, it's your little buddy Jerry, okay? Yeah. It seems management has once again banned you both from being on the show, at least in you know in the future. Let's. I got to make this really brief, okay? It wasn't my call, and it's out of my hands. I'm sorry about it. Are you saying Jerry here is like some serial killer or public no. enemy? No. Just because he gets a little salty at times? Well, those are just words. Nothing for those suits at the station to be concerned with. Yes. I know, and my boss is a woman, by the way, though, though she does occasionally wear a pantsuit. But I am, uh, you know, I'm, just, I'm just asking you to not you know, take this personally. You're, you're a great uncle, and I'm proud to have had you in our family. You know, it's getting smaller every year, so just know that you know, we care about you. And, you know. Hey, I, I, you act as if I'm already dead or something. Before you hang up on us, Jerry wants to say something. Uh, yeah, yeah, Jerry, you, you can speak, but try to refrain from any profanity, please. What's with this big brother censorship thing? Anyways, but I don't think it's cool for you to talk about your uncle and me. Do we rag on you about being the least successful member in the Goodman family? Now with your father gone, you lead the pack. The truth is you embarrass us with your mediocrity. Okay, well... But do we call you, call you out publicly on the air? Well, if I had my own radio show, I might do that, as I try not to lie about stuff. That being said, okay, well, you yeah. may be a weak-ass loser, but you are family. We don't turn our backs on our own, even if they are a little b- at times. Uh, okay, I, I think we better hang up now, Jerry. Yeah, I think Before so. you say anything more that you will regret, okay, remember Steve, you're I... going to order spuds on Saturday. Yeah. So, so don't be rude. Hey, we got to go, Spud. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, we got to go. I got to go. I'm running. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Say, say goodbye, Jerry. Uh, say it, please. I'm waiting.
Jerry seems to be in one of his moods, so I, I will say goodbye for the two of us. Goodbye. Right. Okay. And, Spud, that is why management has banned your uncle from our show. They didn't need any listener research in making that decision. If there is anyone left out there listening, just know that man and his dummy are now gone. You can listen to the rest of the show in peace from here on out. Um, um, you suck! Spud, your Uncle Steve is much nicer than my alcoholic uncle. He doesn't sound like someone who would pee on the carpet during Thanksgiving dinner. Yeah, I mean, no way he would do that. I mean, anyway, can someone see if our next guest is ready to go? Spud, your next guest, John C. McGinley, is waiting to speak with you. Now, uh, he's been on this show a a number of times, correct? Wow. You actually remember a past guest? Yeah, Impressive. Yes, he has been on a few times previously. I really like this guy. Very down-to-earth and no BS. Well... I I like to think I am very down-to-earth, too. It's a quality of mine that I don't think you've appreciated over the years. I mean, I I pack my own lunch to bring to the studio. I don't don't buy some fancy lunch delivered like most of the people here. And, uh, you know, I also change my own oil on both of our cars. Um, And I I don't know how much more down-to-earth someone could be than me. Uh, I'm just trying to point out that sometimes those closest to you have the most to offer if you just took the time to truly connect with them. And I'm probably not going to like you, no matter how many pull-ups or push-ups you do. It's possible you may be too darn down-to-earth for my taste, okay? So just put John through, please. Uh, okay, fine. Here, here he is. Welcome back to the show, actor John C. McGinley. We appreciate you coming back on the show. Thanks, bud. Thanks for having me. Yeah, before I ask you stuff, I should say you're a new member of the cast on the eighth and final season of the NBC series Brooklyn Nine-Nine, airing Thursdays at 8, 7 Central. That's cool news. Yeah, that came along in the middle of February, at the height of the pandemic. They sent me four episodes of Brooklyn Nine-Nine, of which I was a fan of prior to them sending me these four episodes. And then it turned out that the character they put on the page was kind of a combination of Archie Bunker and Yosemite Sam. And... Nothing says John McGinley like Archie Bunker meets Yosemite Sam. And yeah. I, I jumped on board. I thought it was fantastic. The guy, the guy's a Billy, he's the, he's the head of the Patrolman's Union in New York, and he's a, Frank O'Sullivan is a, a Billy Joel fanatic. He still lives in his mother's house, and he, he hosts an, a, a New York Islanders NHL talk show in the basement of his mother's house, and all he sees is the color blue, and so I was, I was all in. All right, super. Well, you know, we had Joe Latrulio on the show, and he said the cast, yeah, he said the cast has a blast on Brooklyn Nine Nine, and that there there were no jerks on it, which is a plus. I mean, with the production schedule of network TV shows, you're all together like family for months at a time, and, and if there's a horrible person on the set, it'd be a real drag, kind of like a angry uncle that people have to deal with at Thanksgiving. Yeah, I, I remember <clears throat> we did Scrubs for almost ten years, and Bill Lawrence, who was the the Norman Mailer of his generation, was the uh, the executive producer on it. He now does Ted Lasso, so that's why yes. he's kind of the Norman Mailer of uh, the, the, the Norman Lear of his generation. And Billy got everybody together in the cafeteria at, uh, in Scrubs, which was the biggest room in this defunct hospital where we're shooting. And he is the least con- confrontational guy on the planet. And he told everybody that there'd be a no a hole policy on Scrubs. And he wasn't trying to be a tough guy. He just wanted people to come to work and not necessarily walk on pins and needles, but bring respect and kindness to work. And he knew something we didn't. And that was that we were going to be doing this thing for almost a decade. And it worked. It was, it was, a, it was a real signal to everybody to just come to work with respect. And everybody knows what that means. You don't, you don't have to 
you don't have to. There was no dress code. There was no beha- behavior code. There was just be nice. Right. It was. It's what I tell my kids all the time: just be nice. Right. And everybody knows what be nice means. Yeah. If I may interject here. What? So, Spud, do you? Uh, John, I'll be right back. Do I what? Do you know what being nice means? It seems either no one taught you or you're just really unpleasant to me. Uh, you know, it would mean a lot to me if you would just be nice to me for a couple of I, days. I, I am nice, days. but I just can't sit back and let you blow up this program well, with you saying kidding. a bunch of dumb stuff. If we weren't on the air, I would not be such a control freak. Remember, the show is in my name, and I don't appreciate you spreading misinformation. I have to watch everything you say. I do not spread misinformation. I, you know, I just try to give our listeners the real truth about what's going on in this country. And without my input, this program would be just another politically biased show with one viewpoint. Uh, like everything on Fox News? Well... I, I'm about to be not so nice if you don't quiet down and let me finish this interview up. Yeah, okay, okay. I, I gotta wrap things up. Okay. All right, I'm back. Um, well, you know, you, you brought up Scrubs. I was going to quickly ask you this. Uh, you're, I, it was a very, very funny show, uh, and you, you played Dr. Perry Cox. But I never asked you this when we discussed it previously. Off the record, just how many pairs of Scrubs did you take home with you after a long day on the set? They're so damn comfortable. You must have a buttload of them in your drawers at home. No, I'm not a, I'm not a, a, a what do you call it, a souvenir collector. I don't have anything from any movies. I have nothing from Platoon, nothing from Wall Street. I have nothing from Office Space. I don't. I think it's bad luck. Uh, it's based on nothing. I just think once you're once you're wrapped, you're supposed to leave that behind and move on to the next thing. And so it's just, I guess it qualifies as an actor's superstition. I just, I always felt like that once you've once you've flushed a character out of your system, that he's supposed to stay away, and that you're supposed to allow room for the next character to come in. And so as a result, I never I never brought anything. I have nothing here. Nothing. Wow. Okay. Well, you, you brought up something else I was gonna I was gonna touch on. Uh, let, let's jump into the Wayback Machine for a moment. It's 1986, and you're co-starring in Oliver Stone's Platoon that you mentioned. Was that experience anything like surviving Apocalypse Now as a cast member? How intense was that shoot? It was really intense because the Philippines had just gone through a, 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 very, a bloody revolution. Uh, we had been postponed almost six months while the revolution uh, was fought. A guy named Ferdinand Marcos had been voted out, and he decided he didn't want to leave. And a, a woman named Cory Aquino had been elected president. And so those two sides warred, and we were postponed for months and months. So when we got to revolution-torn Manila, it was intense. And then we went off to the Philippine Jungle Constabulary School for three weeks and had a boot camp. And the boot camp was real, and it was just a... a a bunch of actors trying to hardest, all very capable, but uh, it was three weeks of intenseness, and Oliver loved it, and the, the rest of it, the rest of it was interesting because Oliver shot it almost in sequence. In other words, uh-huh. when you died in the script, the character died, you left, and as one of the three or four remaining people at the end of the film, it was very strange to start out with three groups of eight is a platoon, and by the end of it, there was three or four of us. Everybody else had their characters had, had perished, and so they were gone. And you looked around at the end, and there was Charlie and Francesco and, uh, I don't know, two other guys. And that was it. It was very strange. So, yeah, and people left this, obviously left the shoot when they're, they're partly, yeah, okay, yeah. 
Um, well, uh, you, you also mentioned earlier on the, the issue of the pandemic, so I was just curious. Uh, besides this that this project, what did you do to you know kill time? Uh, and I hope I hope hope part two is not on the horizon, but let's hope that we have we have it a little bit under control. Were you able to work much at all? I do a ton of voiceover stuff, and so uh, I voiced a ton of stuff from here from the house. They keep kind of a sound stage, a sound studio uh, here, and. Uh, the rest of the time, I was kind of Daddy the Clown, entertaining uh, three, uh, an 11-year-old, a 13-year-old, and a 24-year-old with special needs. And so I was trying to keep people as, as occupied and engaged as I could. Okay. All right. Super. Well, um, you know, I read somewhere that, I don't know if this is accurate or not, that you owned a bar in Soho in New York. Was that is that true? Yeah, it did. It was great. It was a great experience. Did, um, did, did it make it through the last 18 months? I don't know if you're still a, a co-owner or not. But oh, I, oh, gosh. This is... Twenty-five years ago. Oh, okay. There was, was a place we used to go to all the way down by Canal called Lucky Strike, uh, and the owner of Lucky Strike, Billy Gilroy, uh, we used to hang out at Lucky Strike all the time. This is twenty-five or thirty years ago, and uh, he said he's going to open up uh, a, a, his own restaurant called Match. And uh, I was up in Valdez, Alaska, doing a film with Michael Caine and, and Steve Seagal. And I checked what was then answering machines, and that was Billy Gilroy um, calling. And so I uh, I threw in some dough and got in, and it was a massive success for about five or six years. Everybody made their money back, and then some. And so it was a great. It was the opposite of most New York restaurant experiences. It was financially fantastic, and it was a place where you got to bring your mom for 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 her birthday and be a big man on campus for a change. And so it was oh. fantastic. All right, super. All right, let, let me close with this. Uh, on one of your prior appearances on this show, we discussed your work on the campaign to eradicate the term retarded in casual public discourse. I think you may have won that battle, as from my experience. Uh, you just don't hear it used anymore. Are you proud of your work with that? I think it's it's a continuing. I hear it all the time, unfortunately. Do you? That wasn't the case. Oh. So, yeah. Um, but when I teach... When I teach screenwriting down at UCLA or at USC, uh, I have the students just, if they're breaking a joke with the R word, which is retard, retarded, I just ask them, is there a better way to break the joke? Because the fact of the matter is you can write or say whatever you want. Well, that's not necessarily true. As we've learned, you can't say uh, fire in a movie theater, right? So there's a, a finite uh, amount of, of frequency band on, on that. And if you can substitute... I tell the, the kids that if you can substitute language, disparaging language about uh, African-Americans or Jews or Italians uh, for the R word, then, then go ahead. Uh, right. Because with those, obviously, there's a tax, a T-A-X, on that kind of language. But with our population in the special needs community, there's none. So you're, you're free to exercise your vitriol and, and be a coward uh, as much as you want. Uh, which is unfortunate, but that's the case. And so I just ask people if, if there's not a better way to, to express whatever the sentiment is that they're trying to express. Okay. All right. Well, I thank you for that once again. All right. Well, I know you got to go. Let me remind everyone that you are now appearing on the eighth and final season of Brooklyn Nine-Nine, airing Thursdays at 8, 7 Central. Once again, you are a great guest. Thank you so much. Thanks, bud. All the best. Talk to you next time. Mr. John C. McGinley. Thank you. Go away or you'll miss the amazing conclusion of the Spud Goodman Radio Show right after this brief timeout.
We now return to more action-packed thrills and excitement on the Spud Goodman Radio Show. Spud, your last guest, D.B. Sweeney, is good to go. Now, I, I'm not aware of D.B. Is he a, a rock singer? Uh, no, he's an actor. Oh. He's been in a bunch of movies over the years. I know you had to have seen him in something. Wait, okay, was he on one of those uh, Hallmark Christmas movies? Because, you know, I have seen each and every one of those classics. What's your name, scumbag? No, he, he starred in Eight Men Out uh, and, and The Memphis Bell, uh, Gardens of Stone, and, and a bunch of others. He, he's in a new movie that seems to be pretty wild. Uh, looks wild. Uh, it's a zombie wrestling film. You don't see a lot of those. Wait, why, why would zombies wrestle anyone? Don't they just eat people? Uh, these must be uh, like highly intelligent zombies. Um, I think... It'd be actually... I have no ideas. I haven't seen the movie yet, okay? Let me discuss it with DB. Put him through. You got it. Here he is. Say hello to actor DB Sweeney. Thanks for coming on our show. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Um, you have a new movie out titled The Manson Brothers Midnight Zombie Massacre. Now, I'm going to make a wild guess. This is not a rom-com or a musical, right? <laughs> you are absolutely right. It is, it is a wonderful comic mashup of the pro wrestling world and uh, and the zombie genre. And I think it's a lot of fun. I think people are going to be surprised by it. Oh, super. Well, um, I was just, just curious. Uh, zombies seemed to have a considerable staying power in movies and TV shows. A couple years ago, I was predicting they might go the way of like Fabio and LeVar Ball's Big Baller Basketball Shoes, like their shelf life was at its end. But no, they just get more popular over time. Why do you think there's such a fascination with zombies? You know, I think it's the most purely escapist genre there is, you know, because I don't think anybody really believes that there are zombies. And But once you step into a world where zombies are possible, you're completely outside the world of, like, I hate my boss and, uh, oh, the pandemic and I don't have money or whatever. Whatever somebody's individual worries might be, when you step into a zombie story, it's it's completely transporting because it is an alternate reality. Oh. Oh, okay. All right. Super. Um, well, let's talk more about you and your career. Now, now you, you got your start on stage in New York off-Broadway, and it led to a very successful career in film and TV. Pre-pandemic... Did you see a trend building where young actors of today were choosing to bypass the stage by maybe doing like a YouTube or TikTok video to get their toe in the door? Yeah, for sure. Um, it's it's certainly still there. You know, there's there's some good theater here. When I live outside of Chicago, but Chicago has tremendous uh, pre-pandemic theater scene. I hope it comes back. Mm -hmm. And where you are, you know, Seattle is one of the great acting cities too. I did a I did Death of a Salesman there uh, about 20 years ago. Um, and, uh, you know, there's a very vibrant audience there. And, and of course, New York is, is the mecca in America. Um, but I, there's absolutely um, people coming into Hollywood now who have never stepped foot on stage. And it's a shame because they lack um, sort of the, the, uh, the skill set to, to be versatile. And so you get famous for being whoever you kind of are on TikTok or, or social media or wherever, you know, you've, you've made your mark in the digital world. And, you know, so they tend to have shorter careers, I think, because they haven't really um, worked uh, on, on a craft where you can use different aspects of your personality to build different characters. Is the like thing, you know, uh, on social media, is it really a big factor in casting these days, as, they, as you read about? 
you know, it, it is sometimes, you know, and, and it's funny because it's been proven over and over again that it doesn't translate into uh, box office or ratings. And uh, But yet the producers and the studios and the streamers, they all fall for it because they think, ah, oh, we're going to put Zendaya in here because she's got 7 million followers and that means we're going to get 700,000 people to buy a ticket on Friday. And it doesn't really translate. I, I don't know about Zendaya's box office performance. I just pulled her out of the air. Right. But, uh, you know, there are a lot of... Uh, you know, young people that have uh, huge followings. I mean, 50 Cent has like hundreds of millions of followers and he's been in movies that come out and nobody goes. So uh, he's also been in successful movies. So I, I don't know that there's necessarily a correlation because um, movie stars who don't really exist anymore outside of The Rock and maybe Tom Cruise in the right kind of movie. Mm-hmm. Um, they, the, the, what makes a movie star is, is people will come and see you even when they know the movie's probably bad. Um, and so we don't. We used to have a lot of them, and now we don't have any. And I think some of that is because um, the studios and the, and the financial people are not uh, building those people. They're not, you know, supporting them. And you know, uh, uh, Tom Hanks was a movie star for a long time. And mm-hmm. I think that the studios felt like he's an important piece of business for us. So let's, even though this might not be Saving Private Ryan, let's promote this movie and make sure we continue to support the brand of Tom Hanks. And I think now that, that that's fallen away. So uh, as a result, there's there's very little uh, support for any of the uh, would-be movie stars. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, that makes sense. Um, well, hey, when you when you got cast uh, by John Sayles to play the role of Shoeless Joe Jackson in Eight Man Out in 1988, I believe, did you spend many hours in the batting cage or shagging flies in the outfield to prepare for that role? I did. I, when I first met with John, uh, you know, at that point, nobody had ever been. Uh, Bull Durham was filmed at the same time as Eight Men Out. So the history of baseball players in movies in Hollywood was kind of dismal. I mean, Pride of the Yankees is a fun melodrama, but Gary Cooper was a pathetically bad athlete. And uh, his baseball is laughable in that movie. And Bang the Drum Slowly uh, is, uh, you know, uh, you have Robert De Niro, one of the great actors, and Michael Moriarty. They were terrible. And so there was a really, I thought there was an opportunity to, with my baseball background, to sort of bring something to life there. But unfortunately, I was a right-handed hitter, and Shula Joe Jackson was a lefty. So oh. said, well, people won't really know that. Let's just go with what you got. And you got five months, so if you can get good enough lefty, we'll do lefty, otherwise we'll do righty. And so I spent, you know, I really worked on it for five months, and by the time we shot the movie, I was very proud of my, uh, my left-handed swing. Oh, you went both ways that way. That, that's impressive to pull at, at your age at that point. But yeah, very cool. Um, so... In 1993, you played the role of Travis Walton in the film Fire in the Sky, the guy who said he was abducted by aliens and probed in a very uncomfortable fashion. Did you believe what Travis Walton had said in, his, in the book, The Walton Experience, was truthful while doing the film, or were you a little bit skeptical? I was skeptical, and I hadn't read the book, and I hadn't met Travis. I just had the script in front of me, and I had done a movie a few years earlier called Memphis Bell, which was loosely based on uh, a real air crew in World War II. Um, and the character that I played was a fictionalized version of the real na- uh, navigator on the Memphis Belle. And, mm-hmm. and he's in the story, he's kind of cowardly. And the family of the actual guy um, that was the navigator on the Memphis Belle was very upset because they felt like it was, it was tarnishing his legacy. And people were going to think that that was the real story of, uh, of Chuck Layton. His name was a great Michigander. And, uh, and I, I saw his family's point. So then when, a couple years later when I came to Fire and Sky, and it was again based on a true story, I told the director and the, and the producers, I, I really don't want to meet Travis because I, if I don't believe him, it's not going to make my job any easier. And I, I, I like the script and I believe the story, and uh, you know, so I'll, I'll go with that. Um, but yeah, I've, I've been asked that many times over the years, and, and I don't know whether it really happened to Travis. I mean, I don't really think it's been good for him that you know it hasn't made his life better that he you know mm-hmm. has this event or that he reported this event. So 
you know, I, I think it's it's interesting that he, he's lived his life since then, the last 40 years, as the guy to whom this happened, um, whatever your point of view on the reality of it is. Right. Okay. Well, um, you mentioned the, uh, the extensive work uh, as a baseball, you know, preparing for the role as a baseball player. Uh, in John Sayles' film, did, did you do a lot of voiceover work among other projects? You narrate the History Channel's uh, show Mountain Men. Uh, do narrators do the method thing too? Like when when you acted, did you ever like just go up into the mountains to help you with this role? I actually have gone and met uh, one of the Mountain Men in Montana, and uh, but that was uh, it was sort of like uh, I told the producer I said if we get to ten seasons on this show, I'm coming to Montana, and so I went and we went fly fishing, we hung out. It was really it was a great experience, but. No, I think that uh, the narr- voiceovers and narration is, uh, you know, as you know from radio, there's a technique you use. You know, you don't sound exactly the way you sound in real life. You you have a relationship with the microphone yeah. and with you, with your own, you manipulate your own sound. So, um, that Mountain Man was kind of funny because I thought it was kind of silly, you know, that these guys. It's that whole reality TV thing where it's like, oh, the lion may uh, kill the guy, and it's like, well, but there's a film crew there. How's the lion gonna, you know, somebody's gonna shoot the lion before it eats the guy? So I always thought it was a little bit weird. So, um, so I thought my role as a narrator of that show is to kind of create the mood of like, what if another mountain man is telling you the story of these mountain men? And so I kind of, I made this voice of this guy in the mountains, you know, and, and it was kind of a joke and the producers loved it and it became sort of part of the sound of the show. So that's, it's really fun to me that that's been going on for 10 years. And yeah. Okay. You know, for some time, I've wanted to jump in when you bring up the voiceover roles that so many of your guests do on the side. It, it seems just about everyone in Hollywood does voiceovers. Spud, I, well, I would very much like to do voiceovers, but there are no parts available as the big stars hog them all. Hey, DB, I, I need a moment here. Uh, I'll be right back. So you think it's so easy that anyone without talent can just be a voiceover actor? Well, look, if, if anyone's going to get one of those fat city gigs, it will be me before a temporary freaking co-host of a, well, let's be real here, not not exactly a huge radio show. No way you would be considered for any role, and, and your voice would put people to sleep. They want dynamic voices. Uh, okay, well, first of all, I'm a temporary permanent co-host, and I have a very dynamic voice. I haven't told you this before, but I often go out in my garage and I record myself uh, reading from the dictionary. Uh, you know, the interesting words. Uh, and I have, what? I have some really impressive material right now on my reel-to-reel tape recorder. I'm going to make a demo reel to submit to the studio soon. Uh, uh, let me tell you something. Disney will be the first one to receive a copy. Yeah, I'm sure they'll get right back to you. Yeah. Uh, just let me finish this up with DB, okay? All right, I am back now. Sorry about that. Let me say again, your new movie, The Manson Brothers, Midnight Zombie Massacre, is now out in theaters everywhere and on demand. Thank you so much for calling into our show. Thank you. It's, it's, uh, it's great to talk to you. One of my favorite towns, and I uh, hope I'll, I'll get, get up there to see you guys soon. Very cool. Mr. D.B. Sweeney. Thank you much, man. Uh, you have a great day, okay? Thank you. You too. Now you perk up just like that. It, it happens, happens every time a family gets a new hat. So don't put it off. Go get the new hat. 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 And you and your sweetie will ask for the beer that tastes just right. Hey! I'm not fooling. I'm not fooling. I'm not fooling. No, sir. Hey! My, how time flies. 
I was thinking more about what you were saying earlier, Spud, yeah. about how every family, uh, you know, having a real bad actor or two in it. And I can honestly say we have no bad actors whatsoever in my family. And I'm referring to the total extended Holcomb family all through the family tree going back hundreds of years. We've put a great deal of effort to yeah. record the history of each and every one of us. And we, we have sort of a, I guess, our own familyancestry.com going on. And I got to tell you, it is time consuming for us. So okay. we, all, we all, right. all need to contribute. And I can honestly say there are absolutely no bad actors in our family. Y yeah, I, I don't believe you. Uh, like I said, every family has at least one nope. and often multiple bad actors. And that's a very kind way word to call them. Yeah, I don't believe you either, Gerald. You're full of crap. Yes! As Spud said, all families have someone they are embarrassed of, someone who always says the wrong or insensitive thing at family gatherings and are often way worse out in the community. Trevor's saying we have a caller. Do you want to take it? Uh, it depends. Uh, are they interesting, whoever the person is? I mean, I'm really, really tired of callers who, who yeah, fill some airtime but have nothing interesting to say. Hey, can you do a quick pre-interview with him or her? Because uh, I can wait. It'll be worth it. Uh, yeah. Right now, that's not in my job duties. Do you want to take it or not? Huh. Okay, fine. Just put it through. But if this person blows, it's on you, okay? Uh, all right. Ca call you there? Uh, yeah, I've been listening to the show, and uh, I just felt I needed to call in. Uh, there are so many individuals, like myself, who are unfairly judged to be troublemakers or unsocial members of a family. Okay, all right. I know. Yeah. I know I have been victim of massive misjudgment from my own dumb blood relatives, and it's been very upsetting to me. I'm betting I'm not the only one listening that has had to deal with this. Courtney, Chloe. Yeah, okay, I get it. Being a jerk is, is kind of subjective. You know, it's a judgment call. But my experience is that usually it's an easy call, too, okay? You can pick those people out within 15 minutes of them arriving at any gathering. They, they just can't help themselves. Hey, you know, caller, I would agree with you. Spud is way off base with this topic. Most families do not have members who create problems when they get together. Oh, even, really? Yeah. Even if some are somewhat hard to get along with outside the family, you know, when, when everyone is together, they love each other and they don't create tension or, you know, an unfortunate incident. It's fake news. Uh, it's all fake news. I disagree, Gerald. We all know you're covering for probably a bunch of horrible people in your family, no, but uh -huh. you're just too blind to see. Yeah. Listen, if anyone here in this studio is willing, I will invite you to our next family gathering, and you can see for yourself the love for each other we oh, all share. Oh, oh boy. Yeah. Uh, can we get back to moi for a sec? I yeah. know what it feels like to be ostracized by family. Like like last Christmas, okay. during our gift exchange, my younger brother and his wife had made some snide remarks about what I was about to give the person I drew, my cousin Jason. And it was a, this really a long story. Great, it was a really great present. Like, I would have loved to have gotten that but myself, but as soon as they insinuated that I was cheap, the whole room turned against me. Okay, I well. could just feel the hate. And when they opened up the gifts, 
The room went silent. I was an instant pariah. Okay, well that's good. That's good to hear. Okay, okay. but just curious though, what would you would you give him? It was a gift certificate. Everybody loves getting a gift certificate. Am I right? It kind of matters from where and how much it was for. Uh, well, it was from Bed Bath and Beyond. It's a nice place. Right? Oh, oh, hey, I love Bed Bath and Beyond. I shop there often. Uh, but how much was it for? It was for fifteen bucks. I would totally appreciate a $15 gift certificate, but in my family, they reacted like I killed somebody. I can't tell you how much it hurts to be tagged as a bad person. I'm not a bad person. You dick! You know, I really can't uh, be the judge and jury on this one. I don't know you or your family. It would it would take too much time to do a thorough evaluation to see who is right on this one, but from what I can pick up from just a really brief conversation here on the phone, you are kind of a whiner. I'm just, you know, just saying what I, my honest opinion. I, I can see how your family, you know, members might might not want to hang out with you. Uh, you probably get on their nerves too. I mean, so you so you joined it in with them? Come on, man. No, I'm just I trying to be honest here. To try and present a case of those out there who have been unfairly mistreated by their own family. I haven't even gotten to how I'm treated at my office. I right. am currently being shunned, totally ignored, so I just stay in my Surprise. stupid cubicle most of the time. It gets a bit lonely by the afternoon when everybody's taking their last break, if you know what I mean. I don't smoke, but I go outside with those people. They treat me well, so thank God for them. Yeah, uh, Caller, aren't you worried about all that secondhand smoke? It can't be a healthy environment being with those co-workers. Uh, you should just stay in your cubicle. What's with you, Johan? What I do, I I would just yeah, I just hang in my cubicle, put on some earbuds, you know, crank the tunes up at full volume, and, and the day's gonna fly by. But hey, man, I I gotta go now. Uh, you you haven't been that boring. Um, I mean, I mean, we've had worse, hey, right? Am I right, guys? Hey, we've hey, had worse. Just one more thing. Just one. I, I wanted to talk a little bit about those dating apps. It's really easy yeah, to we be don't have time there as a bad person too. Yeah, yeah, I was on OK Cupid the yeah, other day. Okay. And a woman I had been messaging with evidently got upset with something I said and posted a bunch of negative stuff about me on the site. Jeez, can you believe it? I have a winning temperament. I know how to win. Yeah, actually, the more we talk, the more I think you really are an asshole, all right? So just, just hang up on this dude, please. Thank you. Okay. Oh, all right, then. Should have uh, done that about, oh, I don't know, two, three minutes ago. I agree with you there. The I, I knew from the beginning that guy was going to be a waste of time. Yeah. What a self-obsessed, annoying jerk. I feel bad for his family and co-workers. Yeah, I agree. Anyway, I have to close the show because we are out of time. I am Spud Goodman. Be all that you can be, and I mean that. God bless and ciao. Bye-bye. Uh, you know, I thought he seemed like a really nice guy myself. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. You guys are so quick to judge others. Uh, caller, if you're still listening, I would be happy to have you come over to a future Holcomb family gathering. Oh, uh, really? Just email the show with your contact information. You know, it, it's an invitation. It, if it gets violent when he shows up, you know, whatever, at the next Holcomb family cookout, don't blame me or the show. You got that? Well, All right, later, everyone. I'm out of here. Copyrights 2021, Spud Goodman Productions.